Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Good morning, Radiant Kansas City. Man, it has been a joy already just to be here in your house with you all, with God's presence. This has been amazing. You guys all have an incredible worship team. They are awesome. They are awesome. So good. Well, man, it is such an honor and a privilege to be with you. Man, I've known, I've known David since 2005. I was a youth pastor at the Woods and. Uh, uh, my kids are saying, hey, we need to have this guy, this, this David Perkins guy for, for fall retreat. He was awesome. We've heard him. We heard him a couple years ago. I'm like, who is David Perkins? You know, so uh, I finally gave in, gave David a call, and he was gracious and came out. And man, I fell in love with David. Not in a weird way, but I, I fell in love with David. Man, his passion and his fire. I mean, this is a guy that's been living out what he is preaching since high school. And you are blessed to have the leadership uh, in this church that you have. You're blessed to have the worship team that you have. You're blessed to have the direction and, and all that and all that that Nathan brings as well. Man, I know, I've know i known Nathan for several years and uh, uh, in Cincinnati, he had me come down and we developed this stuff called Break Free and I would take his interns through Break Free and it was always so much fun just to see people experience freedom, you know, in their relationship with Christ. And, and I've, known, I've known these guys for a long time. So you guys are blessed. You're blessed. And it's such an honor to be here. Well, man, uh, God's doing some great things at the Woods Church. So I'm married, my wife, Holly, uh, we've been married for 18 years. I've got two boys, 11 and nine, Hudson and Maddox. And uh, man, we're just loving life right now because God is moving in such a powerful way in our church. This past fall, I held up a blank piece of paper to our church and I said, this is what our fall looks like. I canceled everything. I canceled Christmas productions. I canceled family Christmas. I canceled it all. And I said, if we don't stop doing all the things that we are doing, we are never going to capture the heart of God. Wow. Y'all, we are a busy church, and we were doing all kinds of things, and all the things that we were doing, they were good things. But I began to wrestle and be convicted, but are these God's best things? Are these the things that God has called us as his people and as the Woods Church to be devoted to, 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 to experience, to go after? So I just, I said, I gave them all the why. I didn't know what the feedback was going to be. I didn't know people were going to walk out. I didn't know, but this is what we're doing. <laughs> Nothing. All we're going to do is pray. And our staff, we, we meet every morning at 9 a.m. We have an hour prayer meeting every morning together as a staff, uh, every day of the week. And man, it has brought so much unity to our staff. It has brought so much honor. The culture of honor has just exploded in our church. <laughs> You'd be amazed. Some of these prayer meetings are full of confession and just repentance. And man, God has been convicting us and lots of conviction. I don't like being convicted alone, so I always share the things that God's <laughs> convicting me about because I want people to be convicted with me. So I, I hope you're all convicted this morning about something. That way I know God's moving because there's always room for growth, right? We're always in the process of becoming to look like Jesus. And God has been doing a work for us at our church, and I know God has been moving here at Radiant, Kansas City. And man, it's such an honor to be with you. 
A couple weeks ago, one of my intercessors came to me with this word and it transformed the way I've been looking at 2019 because I've always been one of those guys who said, all right, God, I'm, I was getting nervous, right? I'm like, God, give me the vision for 2019, man. I, I, want, I want the end picture. I want the vision. I got I to gotta explain this, man. I got to call our people to it. I want to I cast this vision. I want to I wanna just, you know, what is it, God? Show me what it's going to do. You know, and it was just, he wasn't showing me. I'm like, what is going on here? This is how I've operated for the last 17 years of ministry. That's how I've operated. God would give me this big vision, and then we'd go after it hard. And God spoke to me through this intercessor, and this intercessor reminded me that God's word says that he will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. But God says in this season, John, he's only going to be a lamp unto your feet. One step is the only step he's going to light. He's going to teach you to be obedient with each step. And it made sense to me because, you know, when God gives me the big vision, I just start running. Sometimes I run in my own human strength with my own human ideas. I was like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I just want God, God, whatever step you tell us to take, we're going to take. And when God speaks to us, then we move quickly and then we move violently towards what God has been sharing. So God's basically been incredibly faithful. He's given us three basic things to focus on in 2019. Prayer. Prayer has got to be the center. It's got to be the core of everything. Every, every ministry has got to be focused around prayer. And prayer has got to be the center. It's got to be the foundation. Discipleship. Man, I'm tired of raising up people who just believe in Jesus. I want people who will radically surrender their lives up and follow him to the ends of the earth. So our discipleship, and I don't even know how it's going to look yet, but our discipleship is changing. I want disciples who will give 100% of their lives to Jesus Christ. And I want disciples who will go out and raise up other disciples. That's what we're all called to do. And then he's asked us to focus on supernatural love. We want a people who will love supernaturally and generously to all those they come in contact with, all those they encounter those who are less fortunate, those who are in need, may we love them supernaturally. It's not the church's role, in my mind and in my opinion, to provide you serving opportunities in your community, right? God has called you to be his hands and feet and walk with supernatural love impacting the lives of people all around you, right? I don't even know exactly how to do all of these yet, but that's the direction that God has given us. So that's just a little bit of what's taking place in my world there at the Woods Church. And man, I'm so excited this morning to speak to you. So we're going we're gonna to dive in. This morning, uh, I want to start in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, uh, we don't read about the birth of the church. We read about the birth of the Holy Spirit-filled church. That's a big difference. I've been in churches without the Holy Spirit. They're not like this one. They're dead. They're not alive. Right? The church is now, in Acts, the church is now a church of power. And we see the birth of a church that supernaturally advances the kingdom of heaven throughout their communities. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I want to be, be a supernatural church. Have you ever attended a church and walked away feeling good about yourself? You ever been to a church? You just walk with me and I, I feel pretty good about myself. Yeah, I, I, I don't want my people to walk away feeling good about themselves. I really don't. I want, I want them to walk away having encountered the presence of the living God. If that makes them feel good, then great. 
But whatever God has in store, that's what I want them to experience. I don't, I don't care, even this morning, I don't care if you remember a word that I say or a lyric that you sang in, in one of the songs that, that we were worshiping with. Man, I just want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have encountered the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit and it changed you. That's why we gather And I think this was the result that we find taking place on a regular basis in the church of Acts. They were encountering the presence of the living God. The book of Acts is filled with 30 years worth of stories from five different cities, stories of the miraculous, stories of extreme persecution, stories of God's faithfulness as men and women laid down their lives for the call of the gospel. And this gospel teaches that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's an unstoppable gospel that's been advancing for the last 2,000 years. People have rejected it. They've tried to silence it. Others have tried to contradict it and invalidate it. Nations have risen against it and tried to crush it and destroy it. Yet it does not yield. Those who have proclaimed this gospel have been crucified They've been burned at the stake. They've been stoned. They've been beheaded. They've been persecuted and imprisoned. Yet this gospel, it does not give way. And the church, through it all, advances. And and we, you and me today, we have the privilege of being a part of this audacious, this courageous, this dangerous church that never stops changing the lives of people. We are not a country club. We are not a monastery. We are not a refuge from the world, but we are a refuge for the world. Our job is to execute the great commission that God has given us with undaunted determination and undying resolve, empowered by the Holy Spirit with fire in our eyes and the armies of heaven at our backs. Each day fearless, we press forward deep into the enemy's camp taking the name of Jesus to a broken world who's in desperate need of a savior. We, everybody say we. We We are the redeemed. We are the chosen. We are a passionate people who carry a supernatural love. We are an army of the called out ones. We are the church. That was my introduction to Acts. Okay. Acts chapter 2. If you've grown up, if you've spent any time in church, you know this passage of scripture. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. Everybody say awe. This is not like a, oh, that baby's so cute. Oh, they're so proud. This was a, awe. I mean, this was, this was supernatural. This was, this was the kingdom of heaven that they were experiencing. This was an awe. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. These Holy Spirit-filled followers 
in the early church, as we read this, we see that they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? They were a learning church. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They were a loving church. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper and participating in the Lord's Supper is an act of worship. So they were a worshiping church. And lastly, they were a people who devoted themselves to what? Prayer. They were a praying church. Prayer was central to everything they did. It was part of their very foundation. I mean, man, if some of those apostles would walk into our churches today, they would laugh. They would laugh at, the, at a group of people who have gathered under the name of Jesus who don't pray. Unfortunately, in today's world, in today's day and age, who has time to pray? Right? We've reduced prayer to something that you do before meals or maybe before bedtime. If prayer isn't meaningful and purposeful and vital to the everyday function of your church, then your church might be meaningless. If somehow your church could accomplish its mission without daily passionate prayer, then your mission is insufficient and your church is probably irrelevant. Prayer is one of the foundational building blocks of your relationship with God. It's how you communicate with the Lord. It's, it's how the Holy Spirit communicates back and speaks with you. Without prayer, God becomes your acquaintance instead of your best friend. He becomes someone you know about, but you do not know him. The early church they devoted themselves to prayer. It was so important to them that they knew that they wouldn't be able to exist without it. It was their lifeline. It was their source of power. It was their source of courage. It was the source of the signs and wonders that were taking place. It was the source of their intimacy yes. with the Father. And in Acts 4, Peter and John were, I mean, they're, they're thrown, chapter 4, they're thrown into prison overnight because they were, what, they were, they were preaching about Jesus. And the next morning, they were brought before the council where the council threatened them and tried to intimidate them. They ordered them to stop preaching and stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And finally, they released them. And Peter and John, they go immediately to where the group of believers had gathered and were meeting. And they went to that group of believers and they shared with them what had happened and they immediately began to pray. In Acts chapter four, verses 29 through 30, the believers are praying. Then in verse 31, something incredible happens. Acts chapter four, verses 29 through 31. And now, O Lord, their threat, uh, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now those early believers gathered together had just prayed for signs, wonders, and boldness. And immediately after, the meeting place where they were meeting, the ground on which they were standing, shook. How awesome would it be to experience something like that? I mean, when you think about the power of prayer and what just took place in Acts, don't church activities seem really boring in comparison? 
I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I want what I'm reading about. I want the stories that, that I've been growing up with and reading in Scripture. I want what I'm reading about in Acts. How can we read about the power of prayer and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon these early believers and be satisfied with anything less? God commands that his church, that's you and me, that his church be devoted to his word, to fellowship, to worship, and to prayer for a reason. Why? Because it's through these things that we will experience him. He desires intimacy with you. And he has given you the Google map to seeking him and finding him and having deep, intimate relationship with him. In today's world, people are picky, right? People are picky about who's speaking that week or or who's leading worship that week. And and people think to themselves, oh, it's just so-and-so that's speaking. It's just the youth pastor that's speaking this week, right? It's just, I mean, I I think I'm going to skip and I'm going to go to breakfast. I mean, do you think the underground Chinese church or the rapidly growing church in the Middle East who faces great persecution and even death if caught meeting, do you think they're worried about who's going to speak that day? Do you think they're worried about who's leading worship that day? I mean, they did not gather risking at possible imprisonment and even death to hear a great speaker or a favorite worship leader. They gathered for one purpose, around one person, and for one thing, to meet and encounter the presence of the living God. Why have you gathered here this morning? Why did you come to church? Maybe we shouldn't be attracted by a speaker or a certain worship leader. Maybe the attraction should be the body of believers gathered in one place experiencing the presence of God. Is that not enough? We got to wrestle with that. Why did we come? Why are we here in church? And is the presence of God not enough? Didn't you come to church this morning with one intention? With one priority? To meet with God? I mean, the presence of God is all our brothers and sisters have in some areas of the world. And no worship band today, right? We can't do worship. We can't sing out loud. We have to actually whisper because if people hear us, we could be found out and we could be arrested and thrown into prison. Man, I, I guess I'm just, I'm over being a church that offers people a smorgasbord of different things to be a part of and to be entertained with. I want to be a church that offers people one thing, a life-changing encounter with the presence of the living God. That's all I want. I want to be a church devoted to what it says in the scriptures, a praying, empowered church who's raising up disciples, who are raising up more disciples. And I'm not talking about disinterested disciples. I'm I'm not talking about Sunday morning attenders who just come to church and they give God their hour a week and they call it good. I'm talking about committed, passionate, all in, fully surrendered disciples. If we're going to follow Jesus, it takes 100%. It takes a people who are fully surrendered. Over these past few months, I've been 
so convicted about the prominence of prayer at my church. I have had to repent for not making prayer central to all that we do. And when God's people commit themselves to praying, man, you better hold on tight because you too will find, you will find yourselves in places where the foundations are shaking and where the Holy Spirit is present and where the Holy Spirit is being poured out in greater measure. You see, there's no limit to what God can do when his people pray. Yeah. Leonard Ravenhill in his book, When Revival Tarries, probably one of the richest most rewarding books I've ever read. He said this, and I was so convicted when I read it. And I told my congregation back home, as I mean, this convicts me, and it better convict you too. <laughs> he said, poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many riders, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Ian Bounds said in his book, Power Through Prayer, said what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more or novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men and women of prayer. Listen, church, the power and presence of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ do not move because a church simply embraces the culture or, or looks popular from the outside looking in. No, the kingdom of heaven moves when the people who have charge of it move. You have charge of the kingdom and it will go where you go and it will manifest where you pray. You are carriers of it. It's like a gene. It's like part of your DNA. You're carriers of that kingdom. Let me switch gears for just a few minutes. I want to talk about some practical keys to prayer and what we've been discussing this morning. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now, church, does that not sound exciting to hear unsearchable things that we don't know, that only God knows, that, that the God of the universe wants to speak to you? He wants to speak to you about things that only he knows. Well, how can we experience that? How do we devote ourselves to prayer? How does prayer become central? And how do we exercise this? How do we, uh, how do we make this? a part of our everyday lives. So here's some practical keys to prayer. First one is this. Pray persistently. This is all, this is all just in your Bible. This is not rocket science. 
pray persistently by asking, seeking, and knocking. This is Jesus' instruction to us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So one of the most astonishing keys to effective prayer is to not hold back in our asking. Keep asking when you know what you're asking for is according to God's will and his desires. Be persistent, ask daily, and don't give up. I mean, do you pray? Do you, how many of you got kids this morning? Do you pray for your kids once? I mean, did you pray for your kids at birth and then say, okay, they're good for the next 18 years? They're set. I prayed for them. I prayed for them in the hospital. They're good to go. That's how we treat prayer, though, sometimes. No, we pray for our kids all the time. We pray that, man, God would protect their hearts and God would protect their minds. And we pray for the army of the Lord to encamp around them and for warring angels to go with them and, and to protect them and keep them safe physically and keep them safe from harm and keep them safe from, from the enemy's traps. And, and man, we surround our kids with prayer. At least I hope we do. We don't pray for once, and then we call it good. No, we pray persistently, and we ask, and we seek, and we knock. I mean, we're not, hello, anybody home? No, we're, man, we're pounding, like we're going after it. We need God to move. We're desperate for him to move. If he doesn't move, if he doesn't show up, if he doesn't answer these prayers, then we are lost. He's our answer. Second one, second practical key, pray with faith. Pray with faith. People who don't think God will answer their half-hearted prayers usually don't see answers to their prayers. Listen, our faith pleases God. Jesus praised those who prayed in faith. Listen to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. It says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Listen, prayer isn't some genie in a lamp. But because prayer is based in a loving relationship, the more God's spirit communicates his will to us, we can more clearly come to know what he's wanting to do through us. So we can, we can pray with the full belief that he can and will bring about what we've been asking for. So we pray with faith. Praying with faith is effective praying. Third practical key. Pray according to God's will. Our natural default sometimes is to think, is to think that God's will and agenda are hidden from us. Subconsciously, probably the majority of us in here have thought that. God's will is hidden from us. And that's not true. It's kind of like the classic college student statement, right? I don't know what to do with my life. What am I supposed to do with my life? Oh, I'm so stressed out. I have so much anxiety. I don't know what to do with my life. How many of you are college kids in here this morning? Here's what you do with your life. Right here. This is what you do with your life. 
How you do it and where you do it, God will reveal that too. Just start with this. Do this with your life. And you will, you will reap more rewards than if you try to do something else that you devised or came up with on your own. Just do God's will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, it's in your times of prayer with God that he transforms the way that you think so that you can learn and discern God's hearts and God's desires for you right now, what his will is for your life right now, and what his will is for your life in the future. That all takes place in prayer. Reading his word, soaking his word and soaking in his presence. When we genuinely desire to know God's will and we are committed to following it once we know it, he pours into us a whole new level of assurance in prayer. We will know that what we ask, he will answer. Number four, pray with other believers. If you really want the power of prayer to unfold before your eyes, develop a regular habit of praying with other believers. You might not have thought of this before. But sometimes, you know, uh, in our morning staff meetings, when we gather and we pray, I just sit and I listen. Sometimes I have my journal out and I'm taking notes on what my staff is praying. Because I learned so much of God's heart through hearing their heartfelt desperation and their heartfelt prayers to the Lord. I mean, it's beautiful. And I have received vision and I've received direction from the Lord simply by listening to other people pray. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20, he said, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. To agree, everybody say agree. agree. To agree means to make a harmonious symphony. If you look that word up in Greek, it means to make a harmonious symphony. Think about that. I mean, when we gather together and we pray in unity, it pleases the heart of God. He loves and honors unity when we pray together with one voice. It is a harmonious symphony. And I believe there is a greater kingdom power and movement released when we are praying together, unified and in agreement with each other. This could be this could be in your small group. Maybe, maybe just in some of your times that you're hanging out with your friends. Maybe, maybe this should start in your own family where you have regular prayer times together and you let your kids see you crying out to God and they see you crying out and they begin to understand what it means to agree together in prayer because you're teaching them what it looks, to the, what it looks like to be a person of prayer, a family of prayer, what it looks like to ask for things together 
And man, when those answers come, you celebrate those. How, much, how, how great would your kid's faith increase if you began to celebrate answers to prayer that they had been praying for with you? Number five, last one. Pray from an obedient life. This one is so important. I could preach a whole sermon series on this one point. I mean, who wants to see the kingdom of heaven manifest and move because of something you prayed? I do, right? You pray from an obedient life. That's how you will see it. Here's why. If there's sin in your life, don't miss this church. If there's sin in your life and you're praying about a bunch of other things, I'm going to be real honest with you this morning. God doesn't care about your requests or your petitions until he gets the opportunity to deal with your sin. He doesn't care. His most, the most important thing to him and his heart is that you are walking blameless. That you are a vessel that the Holy Spirit can easily flow through. He cares about you so much that he wants you to walk in freedom first. He'll get to all the other stuff you're asking for or the other things you're praying about, but he wants to deal with you first. That's God's number one priority is you. If there's sin in your life or some form of disobedience that that's what he wants to deal with. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to make you blameless. He wants to allow that free and open relationship to go so that you can walk with him. And once you're, once you're there praying from an obedient life, man, then you will see heaven manifest and you will see God move on behalf of your prayers. I mean, you will be praying for big things and great things and God will do it when you pray from an obedient heart. 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 22 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, what's he talking about? Having sin, right? If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. Pray from an obedient life. When praying from an obedient heart, we can freely make these requests without shame. We make these requests in full confidence. In essence, obedience allows us to work with God instead of working against God. And I can't emphasize to you enough the difference in the power behind a prayer spoken in obedience versus a prayer spoken with sin in your heart. Unless it's a prayer of repentance. God loves prayers of repentance. He loves it. Listen, there's easily five to 10 more keys that I could preach on this morning when it comes to prayer. But I actually wanna spend the rest of our time, I, I wanna spend some, of, some time praying together as the body of believers. In fact, I want this time to be an opportunity for you to be prayed over. See, when someone prays over you, they act as an intercessor. I'm sure, because I know David, I'm sure you've heard this word. They act as an intercessor. Our English word for intercession comes from the Greek noun, entuxis. I won't make you repeat it. 
in Tuxis. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It means a meeting with. A meeting. A conversation or petition rendered on behalf of others. It means a meeting. Interesting enough, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word paga is also the word intercession. And it means, guess what? A meeting. If you look at Jesus' first miracle when he turned water into wine, and he remember he turned to Mary and he said, Woman, my time has not come. Oh, he's cracked me up that he said that to his mom. My time has not come. That word time is the word kairos. It means when God's all-encompassing sovereignty and power and authority meets with man's destiny. That's what that word in time means. So when we intercede, when we pray, we are creating meetings between God's all-encompassing power and sovereignty and authority with humanity. That's what takes place. That is the purpose of intercession, which is basically prayer on behalf of others. We create meetings.